This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Kava, and you'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, my listeners? What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and hopefully watching Untold Stories, where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, technology's most influential leaders, politicians, brilliant people in the room, those who have went through the craziest, craziest traumas of their lives and have come out on top. We're talking to those people to really understand the societal shift that we're going through, to understand where we are right now and where we, and to understand where we came from and to understand really where we're going. I just got invited to speak at a conference in, in Prague and the title of the conference is called Chaos because we are going through this like hyper movement of the individual where previously it was all about the collective. But going through the coronavirus pandemic that we just went through, we've learned that and, and listening to the show that we not only have to create the tools and the abilities for us to protect ourselves, feed our families and maintain our family units and our smaller communities. But at the same time, we have to keep our mental ability and our physical ability as strong because life is all about those five spokes and maintaining all those tools, those sovereign tools, financial sovereignty, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, all of the financial and, and credit and legacy markets that we're rebuilding here, rebuilding equality. Oh my God, we're redoing everything. You're listening and watching Untold Stories. My guest today is Aaron Gooding. Aaron, thank you so much for coming. And my wife, Courtney, actually has joined us in the studio today. So it's awesome to have you guys here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. It's great. How are you feeling this morning? I feel good. I feel okay. Me too. I'm not complaining. I'm excited to have you on the show because over the last year, we've been able to grow the audience and grow our education on, on um, knowledge about all these different subjects, not just Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. We've been doing life advice episodes. We've been doing shows about uh, traumatic events we've had. I just had a mayor of a town in, in Tennessee on the show. We've had some politicians, high-ranking, uh, the the deputy prime minister of India uh, was on our show. And so I'm really excited to, to kind of get into this. And a lot of people are asking me, why don't you talk more prison stories? Why don't you talk about, you know, kind of like your own life traumas? And so today we can get into that because when I met you a few years ago, I was at a, a very difficult point in my life, in, in our lives, going through some litigations, cases, going through times where all of my spokes were out of whack. And you really helped me get everything back into whack, get everything back together. And one of the first lessons that you taught me, and you had to learn this yourselves in, in your almost decade going through the, the, the justice system and, and the craziness, and you'll tell your story. But I remember one of the first things you taught me, you reminded me, was my, my first day in prison was getting comfortable with feeling uncomfortable all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about that? And why is that so important in the world that we're living in today? We all, we're all going through this now. Right. I mean, look at the times. We're all uncomfortable right now. It doesn't matter where you sit on any topic. We are all uncomfortable. We are all offended. But you know, pertaining to, to what she asked, it's becoming comfortable, being uncomfortable is something that, you know, I had to, to, to figure out really quickly. And it's something that I really like to encourage people to do, not only because I'm a personal trainer, but because it offers an immense opportunity for growth as an individual. You know, when you put yourself in adverse situations and you just kind of suck it up and do it or do your due diligence, you gain so much more from that 
than you initially put in. It's so true. It's so true. You get you get that out there. And, um, you know, I was going through uh, therapy and going through so many of the, these different methods for, for, you know, personal growth. But it wasn't until I really stepped into the gym that I start to get that that personal growth and not the and it wasn't in a place that that I was thinking it needed to be mentally. It was more physical, but it translated it into into mental. Right, right. As I just shared something with Courtney this morning of, r along the same exact lines. We just finished our training session. I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was that I said to you, but it was it was almost identical. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's like, but it goes, you know, when when life gives you lemons, you know, make lemonade, not necessarily that specifically. But, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you need to keep pushing forward and pushing through because turning back is never the right option, you know. Um, and be, I think that's one of the biggest parts of learning to become comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, you know, there's a popular meme that circulated around the Internet uh, pretty recently in the fitness industry talking about you want to slow time down, plank it out. Yeah. How, how often, you know, you, how, you know, you want to make a minute into an hour, hold a minute plank and it's going to seem like an hour. Oh, I never, that's a great, like how to take the, the longest minute of your life, mm -hmm. do a one minute plank and you'll be begging for that minute to end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, like if you feel like, you know, it's, it's. <laughs> no, I could just imagine myself like in a room and like everything is coming at you so quickly and literally getting on the floor and doing a one minute plank and literally slow everything everything down everything yeah. down um and i love planking for that you know i mean like if you're looking for a good way for some introspection planking is great how old are you 33 so we're we're roughly the same age yeah uh and we talk a lot and you've been able to get a a, a crazy life perspective um, from your your past experiences, uh, tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up here? Yeah, so um, I've got I've got a pretty interesting story how I grew up and all that stuff. Um, when I was born, I was adopted. I never knew my parents. Um, they adopted me. At, you know, my birth parents put me up for adoption. Um, and my parents heard about me through friends of friends adopted me. Um, I was born in North Las Vegas and. Uh, they flew me home back down here to sunny Sarasota when I was three days old um, with my birth parent or my adopted parents. And uh, I was raised here in Sarasota and Bradington out by which is now Lakewood Ranch. Grew up very middle class, um, never really wanted for anything, never really struggled for anything, but um, wanted more always. You, know, you always want more. I uh, was very active in school church i was in boy scouts lots of different things you're know, a good very, kid growing up i was a good kid growing up but i was also an asshole yeah <laughs> um did you have a chip on your shoulder i think i did have a chip on my shoulder when i was a kid you know i've always been kind of a little guy um and i don't know that if that's part of what's kind of subconsciously prompted me to get into to, into fitness and training but um when i was younger you know i got picked on when i was i was younger when i was in middle school and elementary school um you know even in high school you know kids are mean and uh, I always kind of felt like I had something to prove, probably much like a lot of other young men do, you yeah. know. Um, so, and, you know, was, I, I was a good kid, but I was I was an asshole teenager. <laughs> so was, uh, once I started to, you know, find that uh, or develop that chip on my shoulder, you know, after that got to a substantial size, 
I, I started to act out a little bit more. A lot of people believe that the chip is a good thing growing up. It motivates you. It's power. It's energy. It's something that's yours that no one can take. What do you think? I completely agree. Um, that's, you know, I mean, like, I am not condoning bullying or picking on others or any of that type of thing because I think it's absolutely awful. But it does help shape our character. Going through different adverse situations as a youth, as a child, even as an adult, shapes our character and it makes us who we are. And it's those collective experiences um, that give us, you know, that give us our personality and who we are and everything overall. You need, I feel like you need a, a constant radical of where your life could be to always maintain that daily happiness uh, and growth because I don't know if I, I don't know if I could live an as fulfilling life now if I had not gone to prison seven years ago or whatever it was. Right. And um, I, I, I would not be where I am at today. I would not be who I am today had it not been for my incarceration and my experience in prison. It's, and a lot of people look at us in this like sympathy and empathy, but really when I meet people who have never gone to prison, the first thing I think about when I meet someone, and maybe this is my fault because I judge people the wrong way, but I categorize people into two. I categorize those who have been through trauma and those who have not. And I really think it makes a difference in the person. It's a global thing. Anyone I meet, that's almost one of the first things I think about. And I talk to my guest about that too. The crazy traumas that people on this show have gone through, how it shaped them to where they are today. I could. There's a CEO of one of the largest publicly traded Bitcoin companies that was homeless just a few years ago. And he had to go and write articles uh, at coffee shops about Bitcoin companies and Bitcoin conferences to get free tickets to go to the Bitcoin conferences because he couldn't even afford tickets to the conferences. But by going to all these events, that shaped who he was. He was starting from the bottom. That trauma of the choices that he made that put him in that position, he'll never forget. He'll never forget it. And that's like, you know, that's the fire under your feet. You know, I'm sure coming coming out of prison for you, getting back in, into the world and everything, it was you wanted to do it better. You wanted to do it differently. You wanted to do it in a manner that nobody else could because you're Charlie Shrem. So we took, ah, but I wasn't Charlie Shrem when I got out of prison. A lot of people, uh, when I got out, I didn't have this brand or name or social reach that I have now. Um, it was very, very different times back then. I was like, uh, didn't have much money when we got out of, when I got out, I say we got out of prison because I felt like Courtney was there with me. But, um, you know, we had to to rebuild from the beginning. And uh, I'm kind of grateful for that because I was able to do it from scratch. I was able mm -hmm. to have a completely new, like, restart at life. Right, right. I felt the same exact way. Um, you know, and for me, I had no priors. You know, I mean, like, I know you had a, some prior success before your incarceration. I, I had just graduated from high school in 2006, and in 2007, I'm facing charges. And 2008, I'm getting sentenced to 10 and a half years in the Florida Department of Corrections. Um, and getting out is like, I missed college. I, I, you know, all of my family friends and friends are immensely successful on their own. I felt like I really had a, a lot to pick up and do. Um, so I can completely relate to you in that aspect. There's a, 
a maturity level pause when someone goes into prison and they get out. It's like you can you continue on with societal growth with society, but at the age that you were when you went in. And I noticed this when I was in with people who would be 40, 50 years old who had the the um, same maturity level as those who were in their 20s and 30s. And then you had those who were in their like 20s who were very highly mature because they've been in there for so long already. Uh, what was that like for you? How old were you when you went in? So I was, I had just turned 20 years old when I went to prison. Um, and that was a huge pill to swallow. You know, like I said earlier, you know, I, I grew up very middle class, very privileged, um, never really wanted or hurted for anything in life. Um, so, you know, being kind of thrust out of suburbia into prison is a huge, huge shakeup. Um, one of the things that I did, I realized is like, I need to just completely forget about the life that I had before completely because that's not the life that I have now. So, you know, we talked, we talked to go back about being uncomfortable with the uncomfortability. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. You know, just uh, trying to assimilate to that lifestyle as quick as possible. Um, but it was it was essential for me for you know me going into prison at that age and it was just such a shock i can remember going into the housing unit that i was in and the sergeant of the the unit asked me my name and my dc number and i i read it off to him and he said welcome to hell and yeah. i just kind of looked at him and you know, you've known me long enough. I'm, I'm a little bit of a sarcastic asshole. Dude, it wasn't a joke. <laughs> so, it's not a joke. It's, it's not a joke, but I didn't know how else to deal with it. So I just kind of looked at him and I laughed it off. Oh I was my like, God. you know what? I think I'm going to like it here. Oh my God. And as disturbing as that was to say and everything, I felt like I had to retaliate against the system somehow to maintain who I am as a person. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. You had to keep and maintain that dignity for yourself that they were like constantly trying to to strip away from you mm -hmm. but but let me ask you a question that dignity or that self that you were trying to maintain was a pre-prison Aaron that had a huge chip on his shoulder and you could say yeah that chip caused me to commit my crime put me in prison but then I'm amazing now and I'm happy now but if you didn't have that chip would you have ever gone to prison where would you be now? Do you ever think about that? I do. Um, prior to going to prison, I had an opportunity to go in the military. And this is 2006. This is kind of the peak of the war in Iraq. Sure. And I wanted to go in the, the Marine Corps. I knew in my heart that I needed my butt kicked um, as a kid because I had that chip on my shoulder. I, had, I was headed down a one-way path to some type of destruction. Uh, um, ending up in prison was just one of probably a few likely oh. scenarios, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, that's, a, it, that's really s sad for you to say that about yourself, to be honest. Well, it's, it, yeah. I mean, like it's, uh, it's kind of defeating to, to realize that I, I was that person at one point in time. Um, and I don't know what got me to that place. Is just, you know, I, I guess I felt... Um, Wind bird full of red, right? Yeah, just yeah. destiny and fate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do um, you ever think that you needed to end up there to change someone else's life? I've considered that in the past. And I think, you know, through my incarceration, I have um, had positive impacts on the other inmates. Um, and the people that I've chose to kind of align myself with in there. Um, 
I, I have some great friends, some that are inmates, some that were actually officers that were in charge of my care and custody um, that I still communicate with. Um, I recently got married last year, and one of the officers that was in charge of a work squad that I was on gave me a call and congratulated me on my, on my wow. marriage. And yeah, I can't tell you how much that meant to me, you know? Well, that's talking about turning a, a positive into a negative. Could you imagine yourself, like, you know, getting beat by a by a guard and saying, one day you're going to be at my wedding? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right? It's, it's, uh, it's a complete flip of the script it's, yeah. that you're... Didn't, it wasn't hell anymore. No. Yeah, it's kind of like, in, in a way, I like that because it... It provides like a, in, uh, that one phone call probably provided you with so much closure because here you are in the day of your wedding. It's watershed moment for your life. You're moving on everything. You're going to, you're going to literally, literally look at your life now instead of pre-prison and post-prison is like pre-marriage, post-marriage. Right. So I'm the same way. And having that call the day you're getting married is like almost the universe saying, have a great life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like an attaboy, you know, like you've gotten yourself out of that bucket of crap and now you're Aaron do you you know we've been training three days a week for over for I don't know over a year and a half and and training not just physically but mentally too um over the last year during coronavirus and a lot of people got locked down we were very fortunate here in Florida to be not as bad but what kind of what kind of common threads did you see in people that you saw when you were in prison in terms of people feeling uh, sadness and shame and, and whatever guilt of being locked down. I think it's, I think a lot more self-victimizing behavior took place a lot during the pandemic. Well, what do you and, mean by that? Well, in, in that we, we pity ourselves. Um, and I feel like this is a, is a common theme across our nation, you know, um, you know, with, with all these current recent events, we, participate in self-victimizing behavior that causes our own destruction and demise and downfall and then we want to wave the white flag like hey listen i didn't realize that that my actions were going to lead me to this place when i uh when i share my story with a lot of people i ask i always ask them don't feel bad for me because my actions led me here this is my decision unfortunately it was a terrible one but i am proud of who i am today and I think in, you know, in the mix of that, I think through the pandemic and everything, you know, people are losing their jobs. They're feeling probably um, just immense feelings of loss sure. and, and guilt. Like maybe they didn't perform their job well enough and they had to, you know, they lost their job still. Or maybe they put forth their best effort and they still lost their job or families and loved ones are getting sick and, and people are dying. And there's all this different stuff and we're getting inundated by all this just belligerent material that has no factual basis and we're letting that into our lives and our psyche and it's just not doing anything positive for us and I think one of the the biggest things that we have to do when it comes to that is is you know like really fortify ourselves against that which we do not align with and it's it's thinking too right it's it's thinking rational there's a ton of rational thing you have to take yourself out of your emotions and this is something that I did all the time when I was incarcerated because people would do things you know I mean like I'm I was 140 pounds I'm a white kid I am not <laughs> the the epitome of a hardened prison inmate so uh I didn't I didn't really get tried like a lot of people do when they first go to prison I came to prison from uh, solitary confinement so I kind of had this uh 
You're already hardened. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it was it was a big facade, but <laughs> um, you know, so that kind of jettisoned me through my beginning portion of my incarceration. But you know, it, it's and looking at it that way, I could compare you know uh, coronavirus in the beginning part of my incarceration a lot the same because. You know, here I am struggling and trying to scramble to try and find some kind of resolve. And how am I going to work in this new lifestyle, in this new environment? Yeah. That was the same thing with COVID when COVID popped up and everything. You know, everybody's scrambling or trying to figure out how are we going to be able to, to work and maintain candor during this time of adversity. That's it's, that's the it, but but the question was, is how do we work, maintain candor in the times of adversity in the ways that we were doing before? People. Right. You know, you and I were saying we were in the, the the gym the next day and we were like, all right, we're back, you know, we're just back lockdown. It's like house arrest again. We'll figure yeah. it out. Like, you know, we're back to our, our, our prison mentality or whatever. But most people are like, shit, how do I laugh? At the beginning of your incarceration, I'm sure you went through, you know, an immense state of shock and trauma, just like mentally, um, just internalizing what was happening. Um, and the only reason I said it is because I did um, and I only know, you know, I only know my own experiences. Sure. So that's why, you know, I have to go off. That's why I say that. But I think it was the same thing, you know, like right when COVID happened, you know, we all freaked out. We had to assimilate this new style of culture, this quote unquote new normal. Um, everybody's masks. You're not able to, to see personalities. Sure. Yeah. People in the same way, you know, people are putting up, uh, information and stuff on the internet talking about Korea used to use masks as punishment because it removes your personality and you don't associate with the person and this, that, and the other thing. It's like, you know, what do you believe? Yeah, it's whatever you want to. Echo chambers. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like we're in Never Never Land or something. Taking accountability is not just something that you have to do when you're about to go into prison uh, for the benefit of the courts and for the benefit of everyone else, but taking accountability is the only way to get through prison. I mean, you knew there were two types of people. There were those who were like, my actions led me there. I am here for my own, you know, I am here for my own actions and I'm going to make the best of the situation and I'm going to grow grow my life and be better. And then you'd have those who were like, you know, obviously you had the innocent ones who rightfully so should have continued to argue their case. But then you had those who, which were unfortunately a lot of people, who were just constantly living in the past, living in their own lifestyles, living their own mistakes and their own actions then and their own friends and their own, their whole lifestyle. Why is taking accountability, not just in related to crimes in prison and things like that, but just in life, business decisions, decisions with, with your wife and your family and your kids. Like when I mean taking accountability, it's like coming back later, repeating what you did and, and, you know, taking the responsibility, whatever that is. Why is that so important? Because you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to make a positive out of it if you don't. It's always going to be a negative. It's always going to be a negative. So oh, you, you're going to have like to that. work through it. And I, me and Courtney talked about this right before we left the gym earlier. Um, and I brought up one of my favorite books. It's called Extreme Ownership. And I think I, I really agree with the, the whole concept and everything behind this book. It's, it's, it's an immensely amazing book. It, it describes you how to own everything from your actions to your words to you know, your, everything you you make a decision. That is your decision. You need to own it 100%. If you don't own it 100%, then you're going to always place blame on others or push it off. How often have we found ourselves doing something stupid, but blaming it? The reason we had to act stupid was because of the actions of others. Yeah. You didn't have to react that way or act that way. You know, my dad gave me a quote um, from a guy, his name's Charles Swandow. 
And I absolutely love this quote. I used to, he, my dad used to have this, this quote from this guy up on his, uh, his dresser in his closet. And I used to, my dad kept a big change thing in his closet. Yeah. And anytime I needed change, I'd always go over there and grab some change and stuff, but I'd read the, read the thing on there. And it was all about attitude. And it's the you know, same thing, owning our mistakes, decisions, actions, everything. We get to choose our attitude every single day we wake up. You get to decide if you're going to be upset, you know, indifferent, happy, sad, anything. Is that what free will is then? We get to choose the attitude. I, I believe so. Okay. And you get to, you know, free will, like, you call me an asshole, I get to decide how I want to react to that. There's no predetermined, preset response to that. There is no preset or predetermined response to anything in life. It is up to us entirely. And we have to own those decisions and those actions that come out of what we are doing and what is promoting us to do whatever it is. And one of the big things I used to analyze in myself is, am I making decisions and taking action out of emotion or intellect? Or is it a combination of both? And what I had found for myself is that a majority of my life had been led by emotion if it feels good. And how many of us do that? How many of us chase that that feel good feeling, you know? Yeah. Um, I think for incarceration, it's the majority of the people depending on what their vice is that led them there. But being able to remove yourself from your emotion and own whatever it is that you're doing gives you an opportunity to see it outside of the box and more objectively. What other books have have you read that are equally as powerful to you that you recommend to everyone else to oh. read? Um, well, I'll list off a couple of them. Um, obviously, Extreme Ownership is written by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. They're both retired Navy SEALs, amazing individuals. Um, another one, Stephen Covey's Habits, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That's a great book. Oh, yeah. Um, anything by Tony Robbins, um, Napoleon Hill. Sure. I, while I was incarcerated, one of my biggest pursuits was self-improvement. Um, there's a book I read. My mother sent it to me. It was written. It was called For Your Improvement. I can't recall the, the author, but it was written like a textbook. And it was dry and boring. But that was uh, an immensely influential book, too, just because it, it, it helps you identify places you need to improve, not necessarily places you want sure. to improve. Let me ask you a question on that subject. Over the course of your your decade in prison, and then now the years that you've been out, um, you've probably had good and bad habits come and go. Which ones do you fervently keep, good habits that you fervently keep from the beginning? I will forever keep my health and well-being in optimal, at optimal levels. Because, you know, and there's all kinds of science to back this up. And I think Courtney experienced a little bit of this today, you know, um, paying attention to your physical fitness does so much more than just physical fitness. It plays a part into your mental health and everything as well. Yeah, because um, Courtney wasn't feeling well when she woke up this morning. Right. Yeah, and we turned her whole it's day It's all around. about the attitude. Yeah, it's yeah, it's your attitude. So you get to decide, you know, is today going to be a good day or is it going to be a bad day? Hey, guys, I'm Charlie Shrem. Wanted to congratulate our sponsor, Kava. Because Circle chose the Kava platform as one of their newest blockchains and protocols they're going to be launching USDC on. Traditionally, USDC has only been on Ethereum and one or two other chains like Tron. But now there's a bunch of other blockchains. The Kava platform is one of them. And you can access all of those super cool DeFi high yield opportunities that are on the Kava platform now with USDC, which we know and love. 
So check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash Kava. And congratulations, guys. Having Circle choose y'all as the top blockchain for USDC to be launched on is a big freaking deal. But I like that. I have this like thing when I wake up in the morning and I'm like, try to make sure that as soon as you wake up, the energy is good for the first few minutes. And if it's bad, then I'm like, my whole day is going to be bad. Mm-hmm. But that's my thinking. That's my thinking. I can turn it around. Right. That's just my attitude and my thinking. The day doesn't have to be a bad day just because it woke up bad for five minutes. But that's my negative thing. My positive. I look for signs. You know, we look birds in the sky. It's stupid. But well, listen, <laughs> I think me and you are of the same mind. I'm the same way. You know, I'm 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 probably more superstitious than the average bear myself. Yeah. <laughs> so so here's here's a great here's a great like common thread that we've been talking about and and kind of bring it all together for a moment here is that. It seems to it seems to me that during the adverse times in our lives, those are the times that we develop the gems, the diamonds during the pressure. Yeah. We learn about ourselves. We develop all the good habits that we need to have. We get better during the times of extreme trauma and adversity. Talk about health and and well-being. Uh, how the hell? People ask me this all the time. How the hell can you eat nutritiously in prison? How did you learn how to eat optimally for your body? In the places where you're probably eating all expired and shitty food all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, dude, that was one of the biggest struggles. Yeah. And um, if, if you don't have any kind of, you know. Um, cooking ability? Well, that, <laughs> yes, that. Yeah, definitely need some, some, uh, some cooking ability um, and inspiration. Sure. But um, outside support, you know. Um, it's, you know, you can't, you can't order stuff off the canteen and everything if you don't have any money. No man is um, an island, right? Yeah, no man is an island. That's absolutely correct. Um, you know, eating eating out of the chow hall and everything in prison is pretty much impossible to eat healthy because they've switched over from all kinds of uh, reasonably okay stuff to eat to, yeah. uh, you know, it's got textured vegetable proteins and all this stuff. And anything stuff, worth just... worth eating, they're stealing out of the loading dock before they give it to us anyway. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all saw it happen. It's, it's terrible. There's so much. Dude, if you want to see corruption, just look at the fucking look at the how prison prisons system. are run. Yeah, yeah, look at the prison system. I can't remember who it was, but they said, you know, if you want to see the, the, the worst people in the world, go to a prison on shift change or release. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to see all kinds of people. And that it, it is. It's a broken system from the top to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, but I, and I'm gonna get to that in a second. Um, but I want to talk. But, okay, tell me more about eating yeah, nutritiously. Eating nutritiously. So, one of the things that I used to do is always opt for beans and rice if they had something. You know, there's always an alternate. You can get whatever the main dish was or an alternate thing. You know, they might be serving um, like a, a, a I remember chicken that, quarter yeah. or something. That was the only meat, the only real meat I got consistently through my incarceration was ch- chicken quarters. Um, chicken Thursday, baby. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But you could get a chicken sandwich, or you could get chicken or a peanut butter sandwich. And you know, I always went for the chicken because it's a good, it's it's good protein and everything. I did. You, we are meant to consume, uh, you know, amount of meat, animal. Protein. I was like, you know what? Majority of my diet here is vegan because of the subsidized textured vegetable protein stuff oh. or TVP that they had. That was, it was awful. Oh, I hated it. Um, and that it would turn your stomach. That stuff was disgusting. It's bad. It's super high in soy. It's going to just completely destroy your test levels and everything. I had so many gastro issues, but, but yeah, 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 I have, I've, I've seen a lot of gut health issues with people that are incarcerated because of the diet. One of the things that, you know, really benefited me was my parents sent me uh, a small amount of money every month. Um, to get just regular life provisions out of the canteen because, you know, the prison has to provide you with everything that you need. Yeah. 
um, toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant. Well, I don't think they do deodorant. No. Um, soap. I wish they did. Um, but you can get deodorant. That should be a basic it life should necessity. Be a basic, right? I mean, like, the things that we consider basic life necessities are, are in fact, really not. You know, I guess it's first world problems, right? But we would get tunas, fish, you know, the pouch tuna, pouch fish and stuff off the canteen. Really try to source everything as nutritiously as you can. But I compare eating nutritiously in prison as to eating nutritionally at Circle K. <laughs> It's, but it's the truth. That's the best analogy because my first day getting out of prison, going to the halfway house, we were allowed to go to like a like a CVS. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, this is like commissary, but I get to yep. touch everything before. You can, get, you can get everything you need for a goulash out of Circle K. You can. <laughs> oh, a cheesecake. I can make cheesecake in the microwave. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's oh God. I, we used to make some insane cakes. I would tell my parents and write my parents about these cakes that we used to make because yeah, and I'm sure this was the case for you when you were incarcerated too. So, I mean, like this has got nothing to do with nutrition at all. <laughs> but um, we would uh, birthdays were a big deal for me and a couple of my buddies while we were in there. Yes, you know, because it's something that you normally share with your family and friends and the people that you love. Um, and your birthday is printed right on your ID. Everybody knows when your birthday is. You know, true so story. Within your uh, your circle of influence, you know, one of the things that we used to do within my circle was. We would all get together and we would, we would get down on a big goulash and we would make a cake and we would celebrate whoever's birthday it was or whatever holiday it was. And, um, you know, you build your own community in there. And uh, I think that was fundamental for me and my mental health while I was incarcerated and everything. And I think it was fundamental for a lot of people. Um, I'm sure you found the same thing. I learned a lot of good advice. Uh, I learned a lot of things there one of the the things that i really really learned was how to think for myself with with a high degree of common sense in a place where you can't google things or you can't get external communication but you have to make life and death decisions based on the information that you have in front of you and uh, there was this joke thing in jail called like inmate.com yes where it's like oh i heard every everything you've ever heard was on inmate.com i remember like just lining up outside the warden's office one 4 a.m. morning thinking that we were getting, you know, like a free chicken that day because I heard on inmate.com and like the warden's like, what are you doing outside my office, Shrem? Like just stupid. My first day in prison, I go in, I see a guy wrapping himself in saran wrap running on the track and then he just passes out right in front of him because apparently someone told him that doing that every day is going to make him lose weight. (laughs) That So you have to learn how to make decisions on your own, especially now COVID, vaccines, masks, you have where governments are making decisions for the collective. And saying so, the governments are saying, hey, we are making decisions for the millions of people, not for the you and you and you and you and you. So you now, it's up to you and your family to make your own life and death decisions. It's very scary for most people. Most people don't want to do it, Aaron. No, no. Well, I don't think most people have the resolve to do it. Sure. I think it will drive most people crazy or or just shut down. How do you think for yourself? How do you have common sense? How do you trust your gut to make your own decisions? Uh, I kind of think that that was like an innate thing in me. I've always questioned everything. And, um, you know, I was I was thinking about this the other day, kind of loosely. I think I really got it from my father because one of the things I did as a young child, you know, it's like I loved Legos. I loved to build Legos. Um, But I never was able to complete my first one. My dad had to help me complete my first one. And he showed me step by step, you know, this is what you do next. So anytime me and my sister had a problem where we couldn't figure out something to do, you know, 
my dad would always be like, okay, take us, you know, stop, slow down. What do you have to do next? What's next? What is the next immediate thing that you need to do? And I think thinking for myself and, you know, becoming really self-reliant is, uh, is that stopping, slowing down, realizing that the sky is not falling. Do a plank. Being able to a, a plank for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it gives you the resolve to be like, okay, I have to go get gas. The first thing I have to do to go get gas is get in my car. You know, it's, and it's, I know that sounds very simple, but apply it to anything else. I want to start yeah. a business. What's the very first thing you need to do when you want to start a business? If you don't know how to start a business previously, well, maybe you should research it. SBA.gov. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Where I learned how to open up my business. <laughs> so just being able to go out and, 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 and trust yourself and trusting your own instincts. Yeah. Uh, and you say that you had that ability before you went in, but I think that you learned, you know, your resolve became stronger. It, and that's what we talk about becoming harder, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and for, you know, yeah, I mean, like, we have to harden ourselves as, as people and, you know, kind of fortify ourselves against others who would intend us harm or ill will or anything. Because I mean, like, not everybody has your best interest in mind, but not everybody is out to get you. Um, so I, you know, really self disciplining and fortifying yourself and reminding yourself who you are is is immensely important. And why you are too. And why you are exactly. What are your goals? What are you working towards? What kind of legacy do you want to be? How do you want to be remembered? Those are all things that really promoted me to want to make sure that I was on the right side of things coming out of prison. Um, I didn't ever want to get sucked into the mess that it is with recidivism. Sure. And you know, multiple convictions for multiple charges or becoming a habitual offender, um, you know, because just, uh, the both of us, we, you know, going into our incarceration, we could have come out of it immensely bitter towards yeah. our government, the law, society, everything, and act in an adverse way. And we see that, you know, time to time on the news, you know, third time felon broke into a house, and oh, yeah. whatever, you know, it's, uh, why does that happen? I don't know. And I think about this every single day because every society needs law and order and every society for us to feel safe in our own home, sleeping at night needs a place where those who are at the bottom can rehabilitate themselves and become pro-social members of societies. What we call nowadays is prisons and jails, but they are not what they should be. Famous philosophers have written about in the past about what society should look like and how reform should be. It's not what we see today. You can go to Netherlands, you can go to Norway to kind of see, you know, Germany, what prisons there look like and how they're run and how they're more, how inmates and felons are viewed in their society is fundamentally different. Now you and I, we are not the, we are not the statistic, right? Well, knock on wood, right? You right, should yeah. always say that. Um, in terms of the day before I got out of prison, I remember having this meeting with my case manager and saying, he said, nine out of 10 people that are sitting in your chair are back. Most of them in the same place, same here within a year. Uh, that's a scary fucking thing. I don't care how, what you believe you did, what is a fluke and you're not a criminal, whatever, whatever you believe, there is an inkling saying, shit, am I a criminal for life? Am I gonna, am I just, is this in my blood, my DNA where I am a criminal? I am a bad person and I should just never be allowed to be 
part of society. And that society was telling me that before I went to prison. Growing up, we see it in our cartoons and our TV show, jails. It's, it's in Hollywood. It's part of how do we enact reform? How do we change how society views felons, inmates, prisons, but how prisons are actually run? I mean, you have so many good ideas. You tell me them offhand. It's like <laughs> just paying the guards more. Yeah, you oh, think just yeah, just paying the guards. So here you have an inmate telling me to pay the guards more. It makes it's crazy. <laughs> it doesn't right? make sense. Yeah, defund the police, right? I mean, I should be all for that, but I'm not because what is that? That's not going to do anything for our police force. It's not going to make them more, um, more make, amicable to the public or anything as far as that goes. It's going to make them more bitter. Hey, I'm not getting paid enough. I have to see everybody on the worst day of their life and put them in handcuffs and stuff, and they fight and punch and spit, and you don't know what kind of people you're going to come across as an officer. I feel for them. I feel for our corrections officers and everything. However, they need to be held to a higher standard and a higher accountability in the prison system. Um, you know, I, th I think our judicial system, from, you know, like I said, from the top to the bottom, it's, it's, it's a broken system. Um, and I don't know if, I can't remember if this is something you shared with me or something somebody else shared with me. Um, but it was, in, in another country in the world, the prison system becomes an honor, like it's an honor system to be able to work. There. Oh, yeah. Um, and I guess you have to have some kind of prior um, military, military service, service or something or police department service or um, have been uh, like a some kind of first responder, you know, medical experience or whatever, because they need all of those people in the prison system. And then pay them, pay them twice as much as they were making as an officer or in the military or something as far as that goes. And limit the number of years that they're allowed to work in the prison system because they are wow. reliable. Like we have to rely on them to rehabilitate and help rehabilitate the worst of society. So, you know, what I saw in the prison that I was at and some of the, the, the prisons that I was at, what I saw was that you've got a lot of individuals that work at the prison that would probably otherwise be working at um, some type of skilled labor job or something, they don't want to work hard. You know, we got a bunch of, sure. unfortunately, I, you know, I don't want to place this stigma on all uh, prison guards because they're not all lazy, but you've got a lot of lazy prison guards. One of the things that the, one of the prisons I was at was uh, popular amongst the guards was they all would try and get like over 300 pounds. And like, I can't remember the BMI that they would shoot for. But it, it would constitute them as obese and, you know, severely obese because at that point the prison would pay for them to get lap band surgery <laughs> and, oh, you know, all of that stuff. These so are the like, inmates or no, the these guards? These are the guards. Oh, these God. are our state and federal employees <laughs> milking the system. Yeah, because they, they shouldn't be surprised. They learn how to become doing. criminals. Exactly. They learn from the criminals how to become criminals in a criminal environment. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a downward spiral. So, I mean, like. You've got the good old boy system where there's been officers there for 20 and 30 years that, are, you know, are working there with their sons and wives and daughters and stuff. And you know what happens, though? Because the good ones leave. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Because they see the mess that it is. This is what someone told me. My case manager told me. He said, he said, I'm the only reason I'm still here is because I live down the road and near my my kids with my ex-wife. And I don't want to go work someone else. But if it, he could be a top, top case manager in the military, like people helping Marines, you know, going through trauma, turn themselves around. Like he's brilliant guy. And why are you working in a prison? Uh, because he wants to be close by. But there's a brain drain. They take all the good ones and they leave. It's the same things that happen in a lot of cities and places around the world where it's like the young people grow up and they leave. They never want to come back. That's what happens in the prison administration. So I'm told, but there's, 
there's I mean we can go we can Ooh, go we can go on that for days. I know, right? <laughs> we're we're living in a time where like now tail end of this covid thing, uh freedom, liberty. It's like a word that's thrown around a lot. It's being taken advantage of a lot. Where sometimes it's easier to just like let go and let other people make decisions for us and for our families. Remind us why that's never a good thing. Remind us why. You will never get more by giving anything away. You you will not build value in your life by giving away your ability to choose, your ability to decide for yourself. Um, and when that's removed from you, you are not an individual. You are a number. You are just another face in the crowd. It's easy to just kind of push you to the side. Look at... Um, the, the, the small freedoms that we've had taken yeah. away through COVID and and the shakeup that it's had in our society in the United States. Imagine if, uh, you know, some type of, like, imagine if, if the UN came over here and decided that, you know what, your police departments are being defunded and we are going to be your new police force. Like a, glo yeah, like a global police force. Well, I mean. A lot of people would like that. A lot. Of, I think a lot of people would like that. I wouldn't. Um, uh, you know, the day that happens is the day I go to Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right there. But uh, it's it's so important to protect your freedoms because once they're gone, they're gone. You will not get them back, and you have to fight tooth and nail to to escape that. Um, and you know, it's you can watch any one of the thousands of movies pertaining to the subject V for sure. Vendetta you could read 1984 I prefer you do that oh yeah or you could watch the movie um Animal Farm both George Orwell writings I mean and that you know, those were two books that I read while I was incarcerated that were just you know I mean I read Animal Farm when I was in school but it didn't hit home until I read it again in prison because you can comprehend it better as an adult um and really see you know how it plays into our government and all of that stuff but, you know, these these small liberties and stuff that have been taken away, you know, um, will be continued to be taken away if we don't maintain protections of that. You know, we have to protect all of our rights. Um, I recently got the right to vote back. We were going to we were going to go. Yeah, vote we were going to vote. We both I got our to rights vote to vote back because of uh, because that was when I was getting married. I was on my honeymoon when the election was. But. I want people to to realize too that life is constantly going to be throwing more shit at us. You know, you're not now living this amazing like yes, you're very happy, I'm very happy, but life is constantly throwing shit at us and we're using the experiences that we've that we've learned and that we've talked about today how to deal with that. And just to use an example, not and it's hard to to tell your story, but I mean, because of your you're still paying for your crime, you can't drive a car. And um, you just got hit by a freaking car on your bike the other oh, yeah, day. Yeah, and now yeah. you can't even walk. Yeah, yeah. So for the listeners, and I know a lot of people are probably curious. When I was 19 years old, I got in a really, really bad car accident that I had caused. Um, due to, you know, just was my fault completely. Um, I was coming home from college. I uh, was out at Siesta Key with a couple friends having a party. And uh, had a couple drinks. Was on my way home. Was going through an intersection. Uh, I, I ran a red light. And um, I, I T-boned a young woman and her driver's side, and 
unfortunately, she ended up bleeding to death. Um, she died of internal bleeding. And at 19 years old, to hear from an officer when you wake up from being knocked out for a couple hours that you've been responsible for the death of another individual is the most devastating thing in the world. You know, it's, it's crippling. Can't imagine anything more devastating than hearing that. Mm -hmm. It's... um. And, you know, I, one of the things, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, your, your, your sentence is done when you leave prison. But for me, I live my sentence every day knowing that I caused the death of a completely innocent person, a young woman who had her whole life before her. She, she was a hairdresser at a local uh, salon in Liquid Ranch and um, aspiring. And she was, her light was snuffed out much too quickly. But it's... um. It's in some of the, you know, it's in this and in, you know, what I do with my training and everything is this is where I, I want to give back and I want to help people through their tough times and why make a positive impact because I do not want to see others go through the same shit that I have. It's, it's nothing that I want for anybody. Being able to help just one person would make me fulfilled and that you know, I've, I've made a change. Your company is fitness integrated. I would like, you caught me. I'm that's okay. Sorry. Fit concepts. Yeah, no, Functional no, no. Integrated I'm, training. Concepts. I'm all over the place now. Um, thank you for sharing, sharing and you've, your company allow, and we've talked about, but your company uh, essentially takes people, helps people, uh, that are at whatever places in their lives, uh, whether they're the first day getting out of prison or, you know, a 60-year-old man or woman, you help people go from where they are and apply those same things um, to their lives that, that you had to learn and apply to yourselves. We've talked about how to eat right. We've talked about how to, you know, eat, how to eat right in a place where you can't. We talked about how to think right in a place where you can't. How do you keep yourself physically fit in a place that you can't? And why is that so important? Um, a lot of people, myself included, believe that Staying, you know, keeping fit requires you to go to the gym multiple days a week and keeping on top of it and being peak performance. But there must have been something that you did in that solitary confinement room that you're still doing today that allows you to maintain that peak growth. I planking, right? Yeah, planking, planking. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Planking. Lots and lots of planks. Well, I mean, you know, uh, for everybody, core stability can benefit. Every, every single person, if you're a power lifter or if you're an 80-year-old grandmother, you know, train your core, do planks. You know, I think there's a huge relationship, and I'm trying to lead you into it. There's right. a huge relationship between mentally fit and physically fit. It's mm -hmm. the days that we wake up and we're not mentally there. Those are the days that we need to work out the most. And those are the days we want to get out of it. Oh, my brain, I got work. I'm thinking about it. Right. But there's a huge relationship. You know, you, you could have cracked in solitary confinement if you didn't have the ability to plank. Right. Not right. to use that basic example. But to, to, to have an outlet. Um, one of my biggest outlets when I was in solitary confinement, the few times that I found myself there, was um, reading. Lots and lots of reading. Um, you're only allowed to have one book at a time while you're in there. And uh, you're not really supposed to share amongst the inmates. But for anybody listening who's been in confinement, you know damn yeah. well about pulling books apart and <laughs> sending pages to different rooms, um, yeah. you know, 
just so you could read, you know, you might have five pages you get to read. Yeah, there was a book. You read those five pages over again 20 times. There was a book that I had asked Courtney to send me just because I was missing like the middle 20 pages mm-hmm. in the book. The prison mm-hmm. library more often than not had multiple sections of books missing. missing. Pages, yeah. <laughs> well, that, and you have to figure it out. Make up the story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're, you're you're looking for the resolve at the end of the book, but what you know. happened at the end of the Count of Monte Cristo? Did he get out? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the world may never know. <laughs> that's the most read book in prison, by the way. If you Google the most read Is book, it really? it's that's the most read book in all of prisons. Shawshank Redemption is the most watched movie, I think. Oh, okay, and um, it's so funny. Rice is the most eaten food. Yeah. Um, that's, those are those are funny stats. I never knew any of that. And the prison population in America is so big that there was a potato. So there's one company that makes all of the food for all of the federal prisons. You know, mm-hmm. Tens of millions of people. Uh, it's called O'Keefe brand or whatever. Owned by the Bush family, by the way, if anyone wants to right. know, like talk about corruption in the world that we... The freaking Bush family owns. Is that the, the Keefe Coffee? Yeah, the Keefe That's Coffee. Oh God, I so hate they, that stuff. Yeah, it's the worst. worst stuff in the world. Uh, there was a potato chip brand called the Whole Shebang. Yes, where they just oh. took in all the flavors and just whatever flavor left over they had, they put in the gold. You could only buy it in prison. Yeah, it became that's... so popular that that's the only product the company sells publicly. You can go on right now. Go on Google, type in the Whole Shebang. I promise, it is the best potato chips you it will is the ever best. buy. I can second that. Those are, I mean. <laughs> You you crush some of those up on a ramen, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, on a ramen soup sandwich with some beans and stuff. Oh, that was a staple for me a couple times. I love wow. it. I love it. I love it. Aaron, I is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners off that you feel like we didn't get to touch upon? Because um, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, you know, there's there is one thing that I want to touch on, and um, it's pertaining to my charge. I caused the death of an innocent woman because I was negligent in drinking and driving. If you are thinking about drinking and driving, please, for those that you love, for their sake, call an Uber, call me, call Charlie. We'll figure something out. Don't, don't, don't get behind the car if you're drunk. There's too many ways to, to prevent these deaths. Um, and put your cell phones down, guys. Cell phones cause more deaths. Thank you than than drinking and driving do now and it's 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 absolutely terrible but um you know i yeah and i also want to say if anybody is is out there you know just going through a tough time you know my my best advice to you is you know just remind yourself of who you are why you're doing it and keep pushing and and if you're struggling with anything and you need somebody to talk you know once again i love i love coaching people i love talking to people if you're having issues i would love to help you out and I'm sure Charlie can include some links to uh, my website and everything on his show if you guys are curious about that. Do you think that putting breathalyzers in cars, mandatory, is the solution for drunk driving? No, because people are going to find a way around it. It's, so, I mean, like, why do people run red lights? <laughs> <laughs> why do people roll through stop signs? Why do people shoplift? You know, there's, there's, you know, it's our nature. Do you think that families of those who have been hurt or killed because of drunk driving situations would want breathalyzers in cars? Do they see that as like the ultimate solution? Because here you are, like, there. here's a big problem and you can apply problems to everything. And I'm trying to figure out where government should be in our societal problems. That's the threat of the show. That's the threat yeah. of every show. Where should government be to have prevented what you did? 
Or is it government's even responsibility? Or is it the government's responsibility to be part of your rehabilitation because they can't prevent, you can't prevent things? It's not their responsibility to make sure that we don't go out and do that. That needs to happen at home. You know, I, and I don't want to say that, you know, I had a wonderful, I, I did have a wonderful upbringing. But when it comes to that, it's, um, I feel like your morals and everything that you need to get through life to make positive, you know, good decisions need to be take place at home. I think to prevent more drinking and driving accidents specifically, I, I think the best thing that we could do would probably be bring driver's ed back into schools. I think education. Wait, they're not in schools anymore? I never had driver's education. Oh, shit. I went to school down here in Florida. Oh, yeah, I, we didn't I'm have it in my school either. familiar with driver's education at any school. I think, like, I mean, you know, there's probably classes and stuff you can opt into. But That's if, like the one thing schools should be teaching. It's like, how to write a check well, and how to drive a car. What know, else are they I, teaching you? I went to a local school. Um, I think it was a good school, but I am... I feel like I could have gotten a much better education there. And it's that's one thing that concerns yeah. me a lot in our country is our education system. I think the the root of all of our problems is education and misinformation. Inmate.com. Mm-hmm. Inmate.com is the biggest problem. I We're mean, living how, in a world, inmate.com, especially it, yeah, during COVID yeah. right now. Well, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that I took away from being incarcerated was prison is a microcosm of the world. Oh, yeah. So if you can figure it out in there, if you can replicate that out here, then you have no opportunity but to be successful. You're telling people my secret. I know, right? You don't tell people yeah. my secret. That's literally the secret to For life. For those of you listening, you are now responsible to not repeat that. Do not. Anybody. This stays between us. <laughs> stays between us. Aaron Gooding, my friend. Thank you. Let's go train. I'm excited. Let's, Let's go work it. out. Let's We're going to go, go do it, guys. Man. My listeners, thank you for watching and listening Untold Stories with Al Blockworks Group, the production company, and my sponsor, my guest, my wife, God, everyone, without anyone who wouldn't be here today. Thank you guys so much. Without you, my listeners, without Bitcoin, without Satoshi Nakamoto, without the Magic Sky people, none of this would be here today. Thank you so much. I am Charlie Shrem, and I will see you in two days. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you.